0: Well, good morning, everyone. Please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John, chapter 4. I'll be beginning with verse 17 today. Uh, the goal that uh, I've defined um, is simply this. And, of course, please know, whatever God speaks into your life, uh, don't let the statement take, take away from it, because there's much that God could say to you in this teaching today. But uh, what I've defined to help me in my studies is that we realize how desperately... We need God's help if we're going to love one another the way that God desires for us to love. Now, reviewing from last week, remember, we're talking about agape love. We're not talking about eros. We're not talking about me and my needs and my desires and my wants or let's make love, a sexual kind of love or a holiday kind of love. Uh, We're not talking about I love chocolate, you know, a fleshy kind of love. We're talking about agape love, and, and we're talking about agape love and not phileo love, not the city of brotherly love kind of love, Philadelphia kind of love. Uh, you know, that's what it is, a brotherly love. It's, it, you know, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about a social love that's based upon uh, association or interest, a love that could potentially lead to ex- exclusivity or uh, to a place where we feel like we need to perform properly if we're going to be loved. We're not talking about teammates on a field, bumping chess, or an N- NFL kind of love that says, I love you, man! That's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about agape love. This is the word that, that John uses. We're talking about a love that in a fallen world is the least glamorous, least fashionable of all loves, But it's the best love if we're ever going to understand who God is, if we're ever going to understand His desire for what you and I must become. We're talking about kingdom love, which ultimately is about charity. It's to become the servant of all, it's about laying one's life down for another. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, you must become the servant of all, not very glamorous. John said in 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. That's agape love. Now, last week, we saw how we best love God. Today, there's a couple of pieces here about what God's love does for us. So, we pick it up now, moving on in our text, verse 17, 1 John 4. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world, we are like Him. We're like Christ as opposed to what? As opposed to being like the world. This is the second time that we've seen this word complete in reference to us being made complete in love. The first time was last week. Back in verse 12, where we saw that God's love will never be complete in us simply by us receiving God's love, but God's love is made complete when we both receive it and when we give it away. So the application here is that love isn't love until you give it away, until you're practicing giving it away. It's a vertical connection that has horizontal effects. The cause, God, pours his love into us as we abide in him and the effect out of the overflow of the greater work that God is doing in us we pour forth love to others so to simply think that we can receive love without giving it away will lead to stagnation which um, you know presents itself as bondage or legalism but receiving God's love to give it away keeps love fresh that's about liberty but make sure you understand remember we're talking about agape we're not talking about flaunting eros. we're not talking about glorying in phileo what we're talking about is charity that kind of love that lays one's life down for another now today the word complete is also talking about the giving and receiving of this love giving and receiving of charity But now it moves to these benefits when it says that we may have confidence on the day of judgment. Why? Because in this world we are like him. So there's coming a day when we will each give an account before God. And the capacity to stand before God with confidence, and this is how I'm breaking up this first section of scripture, verses 17 through 19, with the word confidence, is rooted in two things. Did you receive God's love? and did it transform you into his image how did that love change the way you do life did you love others the way God loved you now if you back up to verse 13 of chapter 4 we found that confidence was rooted in three things the Holy Spirit ministering in our lives breathes confidence the capacity to believe that Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh affirms that confidence and the way that we love others, laying down our lives for each other, that confirms our faith. All of these things are working together. This is the image we are to become. Uh, that Working together to give us confidence when we stand before God. So that, back to verse 17. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love, and here's cause and effect right now. We, it's written backwards. See it here. We love, that's the effect, because he first loved us. This idea, there's no fear in love, but perfect love um, dries out fear. Hold on to that, we'll come back to it. But I think first, someone may have the question, hold on a minute, doesn't the Bible tell us to fear God? I mean, take Psalm 111, verse 10, where it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. So isn't the Bible here contradicting itself? Which is it? Is God love or is God fear? Well, Psalm 111 and other places like it, talk about a healthy reverence, a healthy respect for God. But what First John is talking about is cowering in terror in his presence, which is like a courtroom of law. You need to see the difference here. A healthy respect versus terror of his judgment against you. The actual Greek word used here is the word phobos, from which we get our English word phobia you know arachnophobia is the fear of what (laughs) phobia phobia any guesses on that one fear of fear anemophobia we like this one in estes park the fear of wind or how about cryophobia which is the fear that we might show up some sunday morning here at church and the heaters aren't working it's the fear of cold Zeusophobia. um is probably best translated, the fear of God. Though so some call it the fear of God. That would be theophobia. It's interesting to me that one secular author asked the question when presenting Zeusophobia, isn't this the basis of the entire Judeo-Christian tradition? Fear. No, the basis of the entire Judeo-Christian story, when you really understand it, is all about love. How do we an unworthy people stand before god with confidence man has chosen to go his own independent way which has led to much selfishness and but hardships in our world but god in love pays the ultimate price in an effort to reach out to man but the word we're seeing here is the word chrysophobia which is the word which is which means the fear of judgment now please keep in mind that this was written for believers and John wants believers to understand that they no longer need to live in fear of standing before a holy God at judgment because of the faith of Jesus Christ that is in them, changing them into the image of Christ, which is largely seen in this whole idea of laying one's life down for another. There is no fear and love, but complete love, perfect love. Practicing this love drives out fear. Confidence. Stand before God with confidence. Could be translated boldness. It's the exact opposite of fear. Please don't confuse it with arrogance or disrespect. Why can we have boldness before God? Because we're being transformed into his image. And this is the only way to understand Romans chapter 8, verse 1 which says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, not only believing, but transforming. Now, there are those churches, there are those church leaders, and let's be honest here, we could talk about any authority whatsoever, whether it be a government, military, parents, bosses, whatever, who think that the best way to motivate others is with fear. But it comes down to this. You can obey because you're terrified or you can obey because you know you, you're locked. And if you obey God because you're terrified of him, and as I said, this works in all relationships, your whole relationship is messed up because you really don't know who he is. If you think you have to to obey God, you don't understand Him. To understand Him is to have a changed desire to want to be like Him and to understand He's not some mean tyrant demanding to have His own way. So the application here is this. You no longer need to question your capacity to stand before a holy God, simply receive His love demonstrated through Christ on the cross, and then make it your practice to give that same kind of love away. But as I've been indicating here, this applies to all relationships. It begins with your relationship with God, uh, and, and and it carries into other aspects of life. For example, how many of us here, honestly, are gripped with some sort of fear or anxiety in some aspect of life? And if you tend to be fearful or anxious, ask yourself the question, am I fearful of failure? Am I fearful of someone judging me or not accepting me or writing me off? Am am I afraid of disappointing someone? Hear God inviting you to come and bask in his love. Find rest in him. If there's some wrong you've done that you need to go make right, go and do that. But find your rest in him and you will find yourself treating others differently. Man, I just saw the worst kind of anger um, Friday at at Walmart, you know, unloading my cart, just uh, a lady's waiting for my spot, but I had to get my cart past her car in order to put it away. And as I did, boy, she let me know what kind of an evil person I was (laughs) for holding her up. Then she sped off. Oh, how we need help loving. So the first thing that God's love does for us is to drive out terror and fear of having to stand before him in judgment. Now, moving on, the second thing, verse 19, it causes us to love others. We love because he first loved us. Cause and effect. Now, this is very important because it distinguishes the christian faith from every other religion in the world every other religion says god is up there you're down here god is not happy with you make god happy with you and if you mess up you better watch your back because he's liable to strike you down with a bolt of lightning (laughs) well that's not god our god is loving our god loves first Our God shows his greatest demonstration of love towards us when we're at our worst by giving his best sacrifice and our capacity to love the way that he loves, whether that be in relationship with God or relationship toward one another, is rooted in him pouring his love out to us. So the application here is we will love best when we posture ourselves in a place of receiving his love So there's the two things right there that his love does for us. One, it gives us confidence on the judgment day, and two, it empowers us to love others. I am always reminded of a day after church when a man came up to me, kind of a skeptic, who said, "Uh, so that's all I really need to know, right? Love God, love others, and if I can do that, I don't need anything else. And my answer, I I wish I uh, was a little bit sharper on these things, was simply, I suppose if you could do that, well, here's the reality. We can't do that on our own. This is about a love that best glorifies God. Well, let's go on to the second movement in our text today, John 4, 1 John 4, verse 20, and given the title, Consistence. Look at this. If someone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. See the inconsistency here? For everyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Reminds me of Jesus saying, Whatsoever you do to the least of these my brothers, so you've done it to me. So, you know, we need to see Jesus and others and then treat them as such. Verse 21, And he has given us this command, Whoever loves God must love his brother. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out His commands. This is the love. For, this is love for God to obey His commands, and His commands are not burdensome. So we have all these people who go to church thinking, you know, God loves me. I love God. I have a personal relationship with God. I believe in jesus and that's what makes me a christian and that's what gives me security in eternity well that's half the truth and therefore it's nothing more than a chocolate covered lie did you see what it says if anyone says i love god yet hates his brother which is essentially the same thing as saying does not love his brother he's a liar so god isn't solely concerned about you connecting with him He's he's, he's not solely concerned about the vertical relationships. He wants the vertical relationship to affect the horizontal relationship. Show me the fruit. He wants his glory to seen by others through us. He wants us to demonstrate his love by us being reconciled to one another. Yet it it's so common in church today to hear people say, well, I'm a Christian, I just don't go to church, and frankly, I don't like Christians. <laughs> so we could say that the largest, fastest-growing denomination on the planet has one primary doctrine, I love God, I just hate God's kids. Well, according to this, this verse, we could give that church a name, the Church of the Deceivers. Can you imagine a man falling in love with a, a single mother who dearly loves her children faults and all. And so he proposes to her and he says, I love you. Uh, Will you marry me? But in that, we need to think about what we're going to do with your kids. What is she going to do with that? She's going to say, what are you talking about? You're talking about me giving up my kids. Sorry, buddy, it doesn't work that way. Because if you say you love me, then the best way for you to love me is by showing it in the way you're treating my kids. Well, according to this passage, the only practical demonstration of love for God is seen, isn't isn't going to be seen in saying, I love God, but it's going to be seen in everything we do in our actions toward each other. And it's not just about showing up at church. I mean, do you realize Summit Church is the, the friendliest church on the planet? I mean, it's this way because we have People so infused with God's love that they want to share that love with others so church isn't just about coming and hearing a good sermon I think too many people uh, you know think that church is about getting a a mental download about who God is and how to love God better and if the preacher's gone you might as well not show up because you're not gonna get the best downloadable material so better stay home or go to another church no Church isn't about downloading information. It's about loving one another. We need you to help us to become the greatest church, not just on the planet, but the greatest church in the kingdom. So please don't rush in here, you know, thinking, well, I got to get through the songs and, and, you know, they sing songs first and then I'll get there or, or I got to rush out of here, you know, because I got what I needed. No, how about asking some of these questions, you know? Who did I love today? Who did I care for today? Who did I minister today? Who did I pray for today? Because to do any less is to say I love God on one hand, but to reject him on the other by refusing to offer the one practical demonstration of love that he asks for from us. But not just in here. It's not just about church. It's about wherever we go being a kingdom ambassador. You know, people... Come here to church teach to teach Sunday school each week. Some of them uh, they do it because they love kids and they want kids to get into the word. but there's others who do it because they love you and want to maximize your experience here so they're willing to spend time with your kids. Well, we need more Sunday school teachers who will love and invest in kids. We need more Sunday school teachers who care about guests coming in and want to maximize their experience. We have people here who, on occasion, will bring meals to folks who are in a difficult spot in life, maybe with health issues, maybe a new baby, or, or whatever. We're simply out of God's love. And we need more people to offer these practical demonstrations of love. There's an old worship song that used to say, love is the reason we've come here with love in our hearts we will go." <laughs> well, right in here, I, I want to just give us an illustration of how we fail to love, and, and, and mind you, this illustration cuts way too close to home uh, for some of you, so I just need you to realize that this is not an attack on you. This thought began to occur to me when my brother-in-law of 32 years divorced my sister, and, and it looks like this. We say we love, okay? Uh, so so here now we we get married. What very simple practical demonstration of love, and we spend an amazing amount of money on that wedding day. It's a good Christian wedding day. We have confidence our wedding is going to make it, even though half the weddings in America fail. And so on our wedding day, everything's good. Love is beautiful. And so we stand before God, before our friends, and we say, you know, I take you to be my husband or wife, to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and health, to love and to cherish until we are parted by death, forsaking all others, I will be faithful to you so long as we both shall live. As God is my witness, I give you my promise. But, man, it doesn't take long, and things just don't turn out the way we thought they would. And pretty soon we find ourselves talking about this person we married to others, and we're frustrated. And so somewhere in here, it's usually in the 11th hour of the marriage, one of those people will begin to talk to me as the pastor about what's going on. So rarely can you get couples to come together, and they'll begin to describe how bad things are. And I'll listen, and I'll think, wow, you're so right. I'm so sorry. And then they'll leave, you know. I'll pray for them, and they'll leave, and then I'll get a chance to talk to the spouse, and I'll hear what they're saying, and I'm thinking, wow, you're so right, and I'm so sorry. How is it that in relationships everybody can be right, but everybody's losing? What's the problem here? <laughs> I was a part of a wedding a few years back where the groom's dad had a moment at the rehearsal dinner and he got up to make a toast and he said, Son, I love you. Uh, I just have to share this with you that I've observed you have a tendency to always need to be right, but on this night, the eve of your wedding, I just need to tell you that you have a choice here. And you need to answer one question. And that question is this. Will you be right or will you be happy? Oh, man, I've spent so much time thinking about that question. See, because everybody's right, right? And But now we're spending thousands and thousands of dollars, way more than on the wedding, money we don't have, to break off this marriage. And And usually a couple will think, well, we don't have to, um, go to court, we can settle everything out of court, but man, emotions get involved, stuff gets involved, and pretty soon they're involved in the worst war on the planet. So this person that they once gave the greatest demonstrations of love toward, now they're feeling the greatest demonstration of hatred toward. Think about it. And some will protest at this point and say, Pastor Mike, you're not exegeting this passage anymore. You're eisegeting it. Because this is about Christ and the church, not about marriage. No, here lies the the tragedy of church today in the Western world that we somehow think that what we learn here doesn't carry over into the daily affairs of life. But here's the question. How can we love here if we can't love in the very simplest demonstrations of love, such as those people who we make our highest vows to? So, you know, we can jump from church to church and from place to place and from relationship to relationship and God is not glorified. But please don't pick on divorcees or, or or married people here. We all need to think about the, the offenses that we carry in our hearts. We need to think about past relationships and we need to let those hurts go, put them behind us. In fact, If all of us could just realize that the more we talk about others, the worse we ourselves love. God, God wants us to love in the most practical ways possible. You say you love me. Let's see it in the way we lay down our lives for each other. So John says this is love for God to obey his commands and his commands are not burdensome. So we, get, we wonder, well, what are all these commands? No, 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 don't get caught up in that because it boils down to everything we've been talking about today. Love God and love God best by showing that love to each other. The final portion of our scripture here, 1 John 5, verse four, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. That means we're different from the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So you say, how in the world can I possibly love the way Jesus wants me to? How can I do it? Well, here's the deal. All eyes on Jesus. We've got to get our eyes off of the effect and get our eyes on the cause. The closer you draw to the cause, the more like him you will become. We love because he first loved us. It's in receiving love that we have the greatest love to give. So I pray that there will be some healing in relationships this Christmas um, as you abide in the Father and for his glory. So let's pray together. God, if we've learned anything today, it's how far from the kind of love that you've demonstrated we really are. So today, Lord, we pray you'll help us to get our eyes on you so that we can love better. We just repent of holding on to self. We want to let it go to become like you, for your glory, because we look forward to that day when we'll stand before you. And uh, we want to hear those great words. Well done. So praise to you in Jesus' name.